This is the first time we're doing this, so we didn't plan enough chairs, so sorry for those that have to stand. I think we have a, someone could take my chair, to be honest, but uh, if uh, anyone needs a seat, no, that's all team, you guys can stand, that's fine. Um, yes. Here we are. Uh, for some of you in this room, you're thinking, finally, it's taken forever for this church to launch. I know that some other people are thinking, how young is this guy? Is he still in high school? No, like I'm a little bit older than that. Um, but regardless of what is going through your mind in this moment, we're glad that you're here. It means that someone uh, has intentionally thought about you and invited you here, or by God's sovereignty, you came across maybe a post on Instagram, and you're like, that's a cool graphic. I might come to this church. Whatever the reason is, we're so glad you're here to celebrate with us the beginning of what God is already doing in Metro Vancouver. And so as Elise said, today we're starting a teaching series. And perhaps for those that are here and maybe you're considering calling us maybe your future church home, uh, my hope is that you would track with us for the fall. Uh, and this teaching series is going to give you a window into who we are and how we're going to practice the way of Jesus together. And so today and next week, we're going to unpack our first cultural value, which is Christ is our core. And so this morning, uh, as we look at this, perhaps what is a familiar text for some, maybe unfamiliar for others, um, we're going to really look at what it means when the Lord says, come and follow me. And so today's teaching text is actually shared between Matthew Mark and Luke. Um, they're known as the synoptic gospel. Synoptic being a fancy word in theology of all of these books are the same story but different perspectives. And so this specific story is actually uh, native to each of these synoptic gospels. It's actually in Matthew that we know, know that this guy is in fact young. Uh, sometimes when we hear the word young in the 21st century context, we think someone that is 16 on TikTok, that is not the age of this person here. In the first century context, when they're using the word young, this person maybe on the youngest of the spectrum would have been around 25, but oldest uh, would have been 40. So if you are, I made this joke earlier, and uh, maybe I'm not going to make it right now, actually. Um, in Luke's gospel, uh, we know that this man is a ruler. He is a ruler. And what is really interesting is that this word ruler is the same word used in Matthew's gospel, which will be behind me, Matthew 9, uh, 18, which is referring to someone who was a synagogue leader, a spiritual leader. In today's context, maybe a pastor. So we have here someone who is young. We also know from the text this man is very wealthy, but he is also a spiritual leader, which I think is an oversight for a lot of people when we look at this text. So we see this person, um, they're spiritually, morally, religiously impressive to others. Very interesting person. And so from the outside, this person has all of the spiritual medals one person in the first century context could obtain. He's wealthy, he's young, he's spiritually impressive, seemingly, but it seems, even though this person had everything all together, they're still missing something. They're missing something. Let's look at the text, Luke 18, 18. A certain ruler asked him, that being Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why would a seemingly 
devout worshiper of the Lord, also a spiritual leader in his community, be asking this rabbi, how do I, how do I receive eternal life? How do I receive eternal life? Well, let's first define what eternal life is. In John's gospel, we have a helpful definition, John 17, 3. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Eternal life is to know and be known by God. That is what eternal life is. Eternal life isn't just like a really long life of all the pleasures in this world. Um, No, it is life that is being known and to know God. It is communion with the living God. That is what eternal life is. And so eternal life is how God originally intended to be. So let's recap this scene, perhaps maybe with a modern-day perspective, because I'm not sure if you get how peculiar and kind of weird this question that this synagogue ruler is asking. Let me put it into perspective. Here we have a person who is a local church leader. Optically, they serve in the church, very successful, perhaps a sign of God blessing them. Um, And this person is clearly comfortable financially. And so God is just continuing to bless this person. This person probably tithes 10%, probably 15 because this guy is super holy, maybe even a board member. This person is Christ follower, hashtag goals. That is this person. But this is also the same person that is asking, how do I have a relationship with the Lord. It's a bit of a paradox. It doesn't actually make sense. Almost kind of ridiculous. But what is crazier is the fact that this tension, these circumstances probably represent many Christians today, in the West at least. We can attend a Sunday. We can be nice and friendly. Optically, have really high values and morals. We can be part of a community group. We can pray before meals. We can do all of these things, but if there is no substance behind what we actually do, we're missing the most important thing. Eternal life is to both know and be known by God. Come, follow me. Let's keep reading verse 19. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. So we, we see Jesus here respond to this man's question with a question. Very classic Jesus move if you didn't know. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What is also very interesting about this text, the word good in this context, in the Jewish context specifically, was only reserved for the Lord. I know that today uh, the word good has a very low bar. We ask someone, how are you doing? Good, right? But in this context, good was like amazing, exuberant, full of God's spirit, anointing, holiness. That is what the word good meant. So culturally, there would have been no rabbi that would have been referred to as good because that word was associated with divinity. The word good was only prescribed and attributed to the Lord. So we see this young synagogue ruler ask him this question, how do I receive eternal life? We don't know if he believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of God, but there was something about Jesus that he even realized there is something supernatural, something almost divine about Jesus. The fact that he admits that he doesn't know, the synagogue ruler, the the fact that he doesn't 
know how to receive, re- receive eternal life is a, a bit of a red flag. So let me uh, maybe make a better illustration here. So um, my friend Desiree, where she doesn't know I'm doing this. Where's Desiree, my friend Desiree is a nurse. She's also uh, overseeing our children's ministry. Shout out Desiree. We actually have a lot of nurses in our community. I also almost became a nurse because I'm Filipino, but uh, I swerved really hard. I know my parents are in this room. You didn't force me, sure. Um, but uh, so she's a nurse. So here's, here's, let's play an example, a scenario here. Let's say, you know, we're hanging out with friends. Desiree's here and I start choking. And so Desiree is nearby and I, I run and I motion to her like, I, I need the Heimlich maneuver. And she's like, I don't know. Hindi ko alam. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. That's a bit strange because she's a nurse. And this is the same tension point for this synagogue leader. Someone who represents God is asking Jesus, how do I receive eternal life? And so for those around, they're thinking, what? How do you, I was actually going to ask you after this. How do I receive eternal life? At least the one thing that this young man had going for him was he was honest. He had all of these spiritual medals and accolades, all of these spiritual achievements, but he himself knew there was something missing. He could have continued to fake it, and no one would knew. No one would know. It's better grammar. No one would know. But he knew. He knew something was missing. And unlike all of the Pharisees and Sadducees, those being the religious leaders at that time who would have represented God, They were so good, so good at being religious, so good at faking it. In Matthew 23, 5 to 7, it says this, everything they do, that being the Pharisees, everything they do is just to show off in front of others. They even make a big show of wearing scripture verses on their foreheads and arms, and they wear big tassels for everyone to see. They love the best seats at banquets and the front seats in the synagogues, and when they are in the market, they like to have people Greet them as teachers. Most of these religious leaders knew so much about God. They had so much cerebral understanding, all of the knowledge any book, any text could offer. But they lacked what was most important, to know and be known by God. And so we we see here an honest man admit He didn't know God, but he sincerely wanted to. He may have had all the knowledge outwardly and expressed it, but he knew he lacked this inner peace, this contentment, this joy that the scriptures would have talked about. He knew that he was lacking something, and he ultimately recognized it's the absence of God's presence. And so Jesus follows up his question with this, verse 20 20 to 21. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. No one would have questioned this man's character or even his salvation. But he knew something was missing, and he earnestly wanted to know what that one thing was. 
like I said, this story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so from Mark's gospel, we actually uh, have this very specific detail that this young ruler actually fell at Jesus' feet in desperation. Mark 10, 17, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? He believed that Jesus had that answer. What must I do? What do I still have to do? I've been doing all kinds of things that I thought was bringing me closer to God. What must I do? But unfortunately for this young synagogue ruler, his paradigm of faith was centered on doing and not being. That was the foundational core misalignment in this guy's understanding of faith and who the Lord is. What must I do? What do I still need to do? What type of environment were you shaped in? Was it a works-based culture of church? You got to do this, X, Y, and Z, and then you're holy, and then you're saved. That, my friends, is legalism. When we look at the scriptures, before Jesus ever says, go and make disciples, he first says, come and follow me. That's, the, that's, that's why we've titled this series the way it is, spiritual formation and practicing the way. Sometimes we put mission before Spiritual formation, that is cart before the horse, my friends. God isn't just after your mind, he is after your heart. Legalism was the culture and ethos for this young ruler. It's not to fault him, that was just his paradigm, that was his experience, that was his upbringing. His faith was marked by legalism and religion. Do X, Y, Z, and you're saved. Again, his understanding was shaped by people love to be called teachers. They love to be called pastors. They wore big tassels on their shoulders. Poor fashion choice, in my opinion. But for this young ruler, everything required him to first do and not be. We see in the Gospel of John that Jesus' own disciples also wondered this. John 6, 28 to 29. Then they asked him, that being Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. God is after your heart, not just your mind. You can't follow Jesus on your own terms or on your own religion. Our faith in Jesus Christ is a relationship of apprenticeship. In some church circles today, um, a lot of people are kind of shifting vocabulary and language and beginning to use the word apprenticeship in place of discipleship. Uh, the word apprenticeship really does capture almost a better understanding and framework of this. It, it captures apprentice learning from a master. It captures this posture of submission. There's a mix of in-class teaching, but there's also a mix of like real-world experience. You're, it's okay to make mistakes and fail because you are learning. Our relationship with Jesus is a lifelong apprenticeship. We're going to make mistakes. Sometimes we can look at, in this context, the young Filipino guy on the stage and think, oh, this guy is so holy. Man, I make mistakes all the time. You can ask my mom. She's right here. I make all kinds of mistakes. 
But following Jesus is about, there's, there's I'm gonna, this is not part of my manuscript, but I just feel prompted. Um, for us as a church, we want to receive communion every week. When we look at the New Testament, when we look at the early church, arguably, that was like the most important thing that they did, to be reminded, to be centered in what Jesus has done. Perhaps you're here and maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christ follower. When you look at all of these religions, what actually sets Christianity apart is God first making the move. You can study that yourself. I'm studying that right now at Regent. And I'm being reminded all over again of how incredible, how amazing, how sovereign the God that we worship really is. Back to the manuscript. This is the relationship of spiritual formation. We allow God to first do what he needs to do in our hearts. Sometimes uh, in church culture, we say, you know, the next step is to serve on our team. And don't get me wrong, we do need help, but pray about it first. But a better way to really begin to submit that to the Lord is maybe it's how you're supposed to serve in your community. Serving in the church isn't always the next step. Maybe it's coaching kids soccer. I know Isaac does that. That's great. I know that he submitted that to the Lord, and that's his, what God is calling him to do. For those that would have grown up in church culture, I don't know if you ever sang this song, but I really, as I'm a almost 30, Lord, there's real truth behind some of these Sunday songs that we used to sing. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. There's so much truth. These Sunday school teachers do not get the, the recognition that they deserve because they are discipling from the start. And so to conclude, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This person was so close. They earnestly really wanted to know. And we see in Mark's account that Jesus looked at him and loved him. He's so close. But what makes this one of the most saddest stories is that this man knew what he needed to do and he still walked away. Instead of giving up everything to receive eternal life, he chose to forfeit eternal life to keep all of his possessions, his status, his accolades. Following Jesus isn't just this moral, upright, comfortable life. Jesus defines it himself at the end of Mark's gospel. Pick up your cross and follow me. It's not just a fashion accessory. It was a way of execution. Pick up your cross and follow me. Are we, as Christ followers today, are we willing to abandon everything Abandon everything we have worked for. Be confronted by cancel culture. Are we willing to give it all up to follow Jesus? Jesus gives us 
this parable of what this really means. Matthew 13, 44 and 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. 